Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. I'll find out in a while why Professor Killeen thinks the schools should not be going back. Remember, we've had Jerry Killeen on the show several times now, and he has constantly said, we're not doing enough, we're not hitting this hard enough, we need to eliminate it. So we'll go back to him and find out why he thinks the schools should not be uh, opening this week. That's coming up in just a while. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And also the Facebook page, the Corks 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message that way. Mark it for the attention of the opinion line. Also, we'd be going to Bantry. Uh, Fiona was talking to some of the businesses badly affected by yesterday's flooding. They were mopping up into late last evening and seen some of the television news clips and some of the videos and pictures that Fiona sent us for our social media platforms. It really was a horrific day uh, for the people of Bantry. But let's go to the schools first and let us find out how they are preparing, if you can prepare at all. The Education Minister, Norma Foley, was on the RTE primetime programme last night and gave an interview for which, to be fair, she was very well prepared. And she seemed to have all her facts at her fingertips and she seemed to be very well briefed in the various elements of the back-to-school plan. But you wonder if her confidence and her insistence that it's all very clear and it's all very easily put into practice. You, you wonder if that's the reality on the ground. Aaron Wolf from Deer Park CBS, Clash to Eamon Reach. Aaron, is it as easy as the minister seems to think it is? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, no, it's certainly not easy. Um, definitely not easy. Um, definitely not straightforward. Um, we haven't had much information from the Department of Education, to be fair. It's been largely left to schools to find their own way and to work out their own arrangements. So we do feel a bit let down. But it is doable. We will be ready. Uh, I'm ready this morning. I have my staff coming in today. Uh, we're meeting all our assistant principals, but we're deciding to meet them outside in the yard because it's a nice morning. And later on, I'll have 75 staff members on Zoom between 11 and 1 as we give them COVID training. Tomorrow again, 
um, Zoom meetings all day with the staff. And then our first students, we have 120 first years coming in on Friday between 11 and 1. And of course, our big challenge would be trying to get everyone to wear masks. Yeah, I'll get to the masks uh, yeah. issue in a minute. But just what physical changes have you had to make within the schools to prepare Oh, huge. Now, there hasn't been enough time, as we all know. You know, we were closed for six months, but we were only given maybe three weeks to get the places open again. Um, so there's markers on the floor. You know, we have a keep left system in the corridors. We've moved away from teacher-based classrooms and we've moved to student-based classrooms. Explain so by, that. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so students... Uh, from in the past, you know, the student for maths would go to the maths teacher's room or for French, they go to the French teacher's room. But now the students are staying put in their classes. So in our school, we have maybe the biggest class, we have about 20 in a class group. And by and large, for their core subjects, they're staying put. They do move for their option subjects. So they'd be moving maybe to the woodwork room or to the art room. And we have a system in place where they stay in the base room until the teacher comes and collects them and walks them down to the, um, to the art room. But we had to sacrifice rooms. We've had to move our art room. We've had to cl- turn our technical graphics room into a classroom. We've had to turn the stage into um, a staff room because we, we have 75 staff. Our staff room isn't half as big for 75. Um, we have a prefab that we're getting that's going to come maybe in three, four weeks' time. Um, we're putting up stud walls and other big rooms to turn them into because, as you remember, we were on before about ASD units mm-hmm. and our school had run out of space anyway and we have we had decided last year, look, because the need in Cork was so great, we would carry on running four ASD units, but we were pressed for space anyway. So we've had to really look at now where we're going to put these uh, two extra special classes that we decided to keep on. You and I talked earlier in the summer about... The standard classroom with 28 people in it, under social distance rules, that's just not possible. So how are you getting around the limits? Well, what the Department of Education did, they reversed their previous decisions where they said you couldn't touch your SEN allowance. So an SEN allowance are the hours you're given to help students with special education needs. Now, in our school, we always use those hours to make small class sizes. And the Department of Education told us to stop doing that. The Department don't want small class sizes. The Department want classes of 30. But now they've reversed it and said, actually, for this year, you can use your SEN allocation to make small class sizes. So instead of what's called team teaching, where there could be two teachers in the one classroom, you're now allowed to split the class and send half the class with one teacher and half the class with another, which is, makes much more sense. And I would say most principals would think that is the proper way it should be done, but the theory is put two teachers in a room with 30 children to get more done. But in Ireland, it doesn't work because our classrooms aren't big enough. Yeah. So by and large, I have been able to... Um, separate our classrooms. But I'm, I'm very lucky. We have 45 teachers on staff here, so I have a large teaching allocation. Um, so it has allowed me to do kind of creative things. Other schools are a bit more snookered because they don't have as many teachers. Yes, and of course, when you don't have the teachers to go around and you don't have the space to spread them out, you end up with not being able to cope with the full complement. Will you be able to have your full complement of pupils in every day, Aaron? Yes, we've managed to every day. Now we have staggered start times in the morning. We have staggered going home times. And we have How does the staggered time. start times work? The staggered start times, in, for example, our TY students are going to come in later than the rest of the school. Just, be, uh, just because we don't want people all coming on the bus together. But going home, for example, our first years will finish. We, our home time is half three. But our first years will finish at ten past three. And the reason for that is we don't want every student going home on the same bus. They'll all be hopping on the number six bus or the number seven bus with other schools. And that'll 
cause the virus to, to flare up maybe. So we want to stagger our, our end time. So 10 past three for the first years. The second years will finish at 20 past three and the rest of the school then will finish at half three as normal. I mentioned the minister's interview last night and, and some confusion has erupted from it because she don't, we don't, she said masks will be mandatory in secondary schools but she won't force anybody to implement that. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, that's been left to the schools to decide. So we have it in our code of uh, behaviour that if someone doesn't wear a mask, they'll be dealt with through the code of behaviour. Unless now they have uh, a reason not to wear a mask. And that's on the HC website, the list of reasons. But if they can't wear a mask, then we go to a visor. And we haven't had a case um, yet in this school where someone can't wear a mask or a visor that we haven't you been can, You can see, can't you, Aaron? You don't need me to point this out. It, it could be an issue for the pupils in, in your AST units because of sensory difficulty. It could, of course. Now, we do have great concern, obviously, for our students. We'll have 24 students in our ASD units. Um, we have four teachers in charge of those 24. It should be six, but we've taken two and that's how you know, we put them back into mainstream. But those four have been charged with giving total care to those 24 students and to really mind them um, and, and try and help them. It will be a struggle for them, but I don't want to panic anyone either, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, but and it will be tough. Yeah, it I've will been be very difficult. People have been talking about that up and down the country, how, how you cannot really enforce a face mask on someone with a sensory issue. And there are other illnesses or other conditions too that makes it very difficult. So you'll obviously be mindful mindful of we that. We are, no, we have it, we have it in our policy. But schools are, schools now are very caring places, PJ, Do you know, um, we, we, we take great care of our students and we have great relationship with our parents and I don't think there's anything that we haven't been able to talk through with a parent yeah. or with a child. Okay, um, okay. Yeah. Now, and the parents, you said you're having Zoom meetings with your staff at, at the yeah. moment, which is all very laudable. What communication have you been able to have with, with parents over the last couple of weeks? The only communication you can have with parents is through email. Now you do have some parents that still aren't on email, so we send out emails, we send out texts. Um, you always have a few, you know, that maybe aren't on the mailing list for whatever reason, so there's bound to be some people falling through the cracks. We're very big on social media, so we put up a lot on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, so that's the communication with the parents. We've sent them back a kind of a list of what, what's to be expected. So when students come into us, we're going to give them two face masks, we're going to give them hand gel, but parents will be required to get them their own, their own children hand gel as well and other masks for the other three days in the week. Now, we all hope it doesn't happen and, and things are reasonably good in Cork at the moment. I've been doing the figures ad nauseum here of a morning and we're still okay in Cork. We need to mind ourselves. What happens, Aaron, if somebody, teacher or pupil, gets sick? You spot some in school who isn't what happens yes well there is a the, within the response plan which is a government document actually uh, you, we, you we, we in our school we'll send for the deputy principal the deputy principal will come to the classroom they'll walk the student down to the isolation room and the student will wait in the isolation room with a mask until the parent comes in to collect them and I mean it's as simple as that the parent is called and the parent must take the child away and the parent must take the child to see a GP the child in our school can't come back in the next day until we get it all, kind of an all clear and then you can come back to school well, If someone has to be isolated like that until they can be taken home will you be insisting on a clear test before they return? Yes Yes, that's in that that's in that's in the, the the government response plan. That's not a school policy. That's a that's a yeah. mandatory policy. 
But, you know, again, we hope, we hope, um, I mean, the difficulty would be, you know, if someone coughs by accident and trying to ascertain is that a cough or is that just uh, someone swallowing something yeah. the wrong way or something like that. But we use a common sense approach. You know, teachers are in loco parentis. So teachers, teachers take on the role of a parent in the time they're in school. So there's a lot of judgment calls. So we, we, we ask our staff to take a common sense approach. Can you trust, how many pupils are in the school? We will have 400 students 400. on, uh, yeah, starting this year, there'll be four. Can, three can you trust 400 teenagers to follow the rules? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not, you know. It's in the nature, all of us as teenagers. We had a summer camp in here last week, or about two weeks ago now, uh, a summer camp to help students get readjusted to school life. And a lot of the time was spent on putting masks back on. You know, social distance, keep your distance from each other. It will be very tough. But what we're going to do in our school is until about the 18th of September, we've picked that date, is to just concentrate solely on COVID-19 and the importance of good hygiene and obeying social distancing rules and really educating the students that this is so important. So teaching and learning is going to be put on hold. And I don't want to say brainwashing, but we're certainly going to hammer home the message in every class that this is very serious and very significant for our staff and for their own families. It might not affect them. And I, I, I like one of our yearheads uh, repeated the line from Scotland, don't kill granny. Do you know that, that, that kind of message? Um, but we really want to just educate the students on that this is a this is very significant event in, in history and we need to take it very, very seriously. As principal, I guess the book stops with you. Aaron Wolf. are you nervous at all? Ah, no, no, no. I'd be an optimistic kind of fellow. That's right. I took the soup and took the principal's job. So you, you take on that. Um, but you have the board of management support. I'm very lucky with the Edmund. I were part of the Edmund Rice Schools Trust and their great support. Um, but no, you know, we're, 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 we think we're comfortable to, to, to open. It will be a very challenging year. And I just hope all staff across the country, teachers and SNAs, they go easy on their principals. We are the boss, but we have had one hell of a summer. You've been awful. acting up to now. You're 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 the gaffer in in chief now officially. So I guess congratulations are in order. <laughs> Bit of a baptism <laughs> of fire coming up, Aaron Wolf. <laughs> I wish you luck. <laughs> Cheers, thanks, PG. You're very good. Take care. That's Aaron Wolf, the principal of Deer Park CBS Kloshta, Eamon Reish. These are all the things they've done and they're doing and they're putting in place. Will they work? The thing is that only time will tell. Uh, teacher on WhatsApp, you can say I'm a teacher. I Zoom all day, not for me. I'd rather sit in a yard or a sports hall. Teachers moving will cost about 10 minutes per class. That's 25% of a class time for a 40-minute session with setting up, roll call, etc. That's a quarter of the year gone. Kate, the minister said last night she didn't agree with assembly halls and that information should be given to pupils over Tannoy. She said that was the only major problem she'd come across. I thought she was good and thought she was very well prepared. Becky on WhatsApp. Why do some schools have face coverings and others have face shields? Secondary schools. Frank, St. Leo's College, the first secondary school to open yesterday. Start the day with an assembly for 152 first years in the same hall. Yeah, they made the news last night. Shouldn't have done that. Wasn't a good look. Whatever, whether, No matter what safety precautions they said they'd taken, it wasn't a good look to clap 152 pupils into a hall like that at St. Leo's. It really wasn't. 1850 715 Coming up next, the man who says schools probably shouldn't be opening at all.
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96FM. From the Cork Safety Alerts, Twitter. Uh, reports of an overturned vehicle outside Farinry Credit Union do take care in that area. Thank you, guys. 1850-715-996. A leading expert on viruses says that a hundred, there could be 10,000 cases of COVID-19 a day by Christmas. Uh, this is UCC Professor Jerry Killeen who has been doing his own modelling. We've spoken to Jerry many times on the opinion line across the duration of the pandemic. He says it's not safe to reopen the schools, the pubs or the restaurants due to the level of new cases in recent weeks. Professor Killeen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. And I know you laughed the last time the nickname Dr. Doom is hanging over you from our from our, our listeners. But what you've done from the start is given it to us between the eyes, Jerry. You don't believe that the schools should be opening right now? No. And I, I don't think I'd have to say anything to say to people that they wouldn't have already figured out for themselves, you know, um, with their own common sense. And anybody can look at the numbers and see that since the end of June, our incidence rates, numbers of cases per day, they're now about 10 times higher than they were. So, you know, if so that's been over two months. If you let that go for another two months, we go from, so we went from 10 to 100 over two months. In two months from now, unless we, we change something, it, it'll be 1,000 per, per day. And, um, and then two months after that, there's no reason to believe it wouldn't be 10,000 per day. No, please Is, God, isn't that a worst-case scenario, though, Professor? None if we weren't doing trend. anything about it. That's just extending the, con- the existing trend without adding any, for allowing for any further relaxations, one of which would include reopening of schools. So if you just take the existing trend, you follow the standard rules of exponential growth, and that's where it takes us, unfortunately. Yeah. I looked, I've been doing it for the last couple of weeks on the programme. I've been extrapolating the Cork figures, the fortnightly figure, and I put a fortnightly figure from August up to last Saturday. The fortnightly figure was 32. And then going back into June, the fortnightly figure was four. Is that an illustration of what you're telling us? Exactly. In, in ballpark figures, absolutely, yes. So, so you say we're going too fast. Make the worst case prediction, then, Jer. Well, the worst case prediction. Well, you know, when we reopen our schools, um, it's not going to slow things down. Now, none of us really know how much it's going to accelerate things. You know, because um, in these, you know, it's all the little things that add up and they all multiply by each other. We don't know how much, but it can only accelerate it to some extent. And those. Um, the contribution of schools has been seen in 
well-studied national trajectories. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, even without reopening the schools, we're already in trouble. Um, the tragedy is, if we'd maintained what we were doing all the way up to the end of June, we could be reopening the schools safely today. Mm. And that's what, that's what killed me. Is this is all very predictable. And, and, but here, this is where we are today. Yeah. Professor Nolan from Neffet was on the news on Sunday, uh, interviewed about this, and he was talking about children getting COVID. They don't seem to get it at school. They get it at home. Do you go along with that? Well, I don't. Um, I don't, and there's you know, so many evidence of outbreaks from schools all over the world. I mean, ex- Israel is an extreme example. Give me the um, Israel example, then. Well, in Israel, they, they reopened the school. I mean, they made the same mistakes we're making all across Europe right now. They got down to the last few cases, yet kind of decided it was all over, and it was time to start kind of rebooting things. Uh, they started with the schools. Then they got hit by a heat wave, which meant they closed the windows, switched on the AC, and told you know, and people took their masks off. So um, you know, Israel is an extreme example of um, just how much schools can contribute. But you know, uh, New Zealand before they eliminated their outbreak, uh, their biggest their their biggest outbreak was in a school. There were school outbreaks in Australia. There's, I think, yes, as of yesterday, there was. 15 teachers and two students um, confirmed with COVID in Dundee in Scotland. Um, We've had, you know, the United States is just full of schools that have reopened and then had to close again. So, um, you know, in in the world I live in and the internet I connect to and the peer-reviewed literature that's available to me, you know, I I just don't see how we can reach that conclusion. Yeah. You're also... uh nervous I think about pubs and restaurants now the wet pubs as they call them are still closed and I think will probably remain closed if if the Taoiseach has his way for the foreseeable but you reckon do you I hope I'm not misquoting you that the the restaurant pubs that are open at the moment should be closed down again absolutely I mean if if you look at where we are and it's not fair to point just at the pubs it's all the little things we do we're doing that, that it's not so much that they add up as they multiply by each other so it's all the little things, particularly the community transmission that joins up the clusters. So it's the, you know, the hugs we allow each other that we shouldn't. It's the barbecues we plant in our back garden that move indoors once the rain hits us. It's the, um, it's the, the rugby club I walk past several times a week, which has 16 lads packing down against each other, which I find bizarre. You know, I find amazing in the middle of a pandemic um, of a physically contagious pathogen. So if you add up all those things, that's what tips us back over the line into exponential epidemic growth. And it's not any of those things, it's the combination of them all. Um, and the schools just fit into that broader picture. It's just one more um, yeah. it's just one more bit of weight on one side of the scales and that gives us a a growing epidemic that sooner or later will force us to respond and then we have to shut things down again and then we come back to the same conversation 
we've yeah. been having for months. Is, isn't there a have... greater good argument, though, Professor? I mean, OK, we, we, we respect your, your, your expertise and we're always glad to have it on the programme. But, but what about the children who need to socialise and develop friendships and just be kids and lonely adults, who people with no jobs? You know, there's a massive long-term societal Impact that, that sociologists and people who study the human condition will write about for decades. There's a balance to be struck. That's the politician's job. If 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 we close and stay closed until everything is gone, there won't be anything left to come back to, will there? Uh, well, there will be. You know, there's about a billion people in China enjoying a COVID-free existence right now. Um, and I agree with all those concerns. You know, they affect everybody, including my family and my kids. And um, but reopening the schools just so we can close them again just kicks the can further down the road. It extends those problems. It deepens the financial losses. Is um, you know, this is a tough gig. The sooner we get it over with, the better. You, of course, belong to the the Zero COVID Ireland group. And you still insist, you and I think Professor Staines and one or two of the others I've spoken to, insist it could be done. And I think Anthony Staines reckoned it could be done in, in about nine weeks. Would you agree? It can certainly be done. I think some counties could be comfortably out of the... If we use a green zone system, county-based green zone system, some counties could be comfortably out of this in nine weeks. You know, for the whole country you're probably talking about a lot, bit longer to get rid of the places that have been allowed to bounce back into much yeah. higher caseloads like Dublin, Kildare, and now I see Tipperary is next on the list. Tipperary's got a problem. Actually, something that, that uh, I struck me and, and certainly raised an eyebrow with Kildare, even though the local lockdown, for want of a better term, is still in place in Kildare, they're still opening the schools this week. Now, is that half-cracked? Right, yes. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was thinking that. All right, listen, thanks as always uh, for speaking to us on the show. Thanks very much, PJ. Take Cheers. care. That's Professor Jerry Killeen. He's the AXA Research Chair in Applied Pathogen Ecology at UCC. Put it shortly and briefly, he's one of the best in the business at this. But he's done it all over the world. He's done it in Africa with malaria. He's worked with major epidemics around the world. And he has insisted since day one that we are moving too fast. I don't know. You you listen to the straightforward science, and I just compared the numbers, the numbers I gave you yesterday. We had a fortnightly figure in June of four. And the same date in August, it's 32. There's a logic in what he's saying. There's an absolute scientific logic in what Professor Colleen is saying. Dylan, you were listening to Aaron Wolf. Good morning. Morning. What about the schools, Aaron? Do you, are, did, Dylan, do you think they should be opening? Well, to be perfectly honest, I think... You see, there's two sides to it. I think yes, and I think no. I think yes, because as far as psychological development, social development, it, it has to happen, Like regardless of whether it's from a distance or whether it's from, you know, in school... But then I think, no, because how are you going to shove a load of students, like, say the average school is 300, how are you going to shove a load of students into a classroom and hope for one metre and hope for them to distance? But then you see the adults 
and they haven't been great influences either. Like, I mean, you know, you're saying 400 teenagers, you can't trust them. How can you trust 400 adults inside a hall together? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly wasn't a good look. The, the school up the country yesterday, St. Leo's, where they packed 152 kids into one hall. That was a decision made by adults to do that. That's true, yes. I mean, it probably wasn't the best idea, but at the same time, you have to look at it. I mean, they were at two metres. Uh, I'm only guessing from what from what I watched on RT News, but, you know, you have to look at it this way. We're only in the beginning stages of it. We're not in the... We're not, like, two weeks into it. Yesterday, they were one of the first schools to open. I mean, you can't be so critical within just the first two or three days. Like, And also... If you're expecting teenagers and young children to follow the rules, the adults have to show the influence, or you may as well be just trying to hurt cats altogether. Yeah. Would you be concerned by what Professor Colleen is saying, that we're doing it too early, mistakes will be made, and the virus will take advantage, and we could be closed down again? I... Like, I think then you're just... You just may... You know, you may as well just press the pause button on everything and stop everything and totally just, you know... I but that's what the zero-COVID people, the professors and, and other academics who believe we should go for zero-COVID, that's what they think we should do, just pause. I mean, like, technically we did that between March and May, and it's not... I don't. I just don't think it's going to happen, because it's... Well, when we did, when really we did I, that, Dylan, you see, this is the thing, and, 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 and looking at the numbers, the numbers tell their own story... Because in April, we had, a fort, we had a fortnightly figure in Cork in April of over 600 cases. By the time we got to June, it was only four. That's, yeah, that's a fair point. But I still think it's down to people. It's not down to government saying, right, that, that's it. Yeah. Off, off now. You know, it's down to people. Like, you're going to get the people, like the majority of people in the country now are going, would follow what the public health advice is, but you'll always get that small amount that won't. Yeah. And there's no point in you pulling out a cattle prod and telling them, get in now, get in now, get in now, and threatening <laughs> everyone because you're just going to make it worse. And, every, and also, it most certainly doesn't help if our government figures are doing the total opposite. Oh, uh, yeah. Ah, yeah, there's that too. I know that you're only a youngster. Um, so, I mean, do you miss school yourself? Well, I do. I won't lie, like I do. And I know most people maybe around my age would say, oh, well, I couldn't care less about that place. But I would miss it. Yeah, I miss being with my teachers. I miss being with everything. Like, you know, and, you know, the whole point of it is just... Oh, are you going. worried about your education suffering? I would be worried, yeah. I would be worried. And look, I wouldn't be impressed. Like, I wouldn't be happy if, say, we went to September 1st, came out then the end of the month because we had an outbreak. I wouldn't be happy with that one bit because, like, it's pulling and pushing, pulling and pushing. And how how do you expect someone even like me, who's going to be the future, to have an education when all you're going to do is push and pull? Like, that's, yeah. that's my point, like, you know. I... I Obviously, you, you took your summer holidays when they came, but, but how were you spending your time otherwise since the 12th of March? Well, I've been kind of, I've been catching up with my work throughout those months, like, you know, because we had distance learning. Our school actually had a very good system in place, but unfortunately then, um, all the, we came into lockdown, everything was coming in the way. It was like loads of barriers each time, and 
unfortunately, I did feel like my education was suffering. So between that time, I've just been catching up on work, catching up, planning out a routine for myself for when we go back. Like so, you know, it's 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 been very difficult. I won't lie. Like yeah. So when you do go in uh, next, is it Tuesday? Uh, yeah, that's it. What'll be on your mind as you walk in the door? Well, I'd say, I'd say, because like, I was actually in contact with one of my teachers yesterday, and um, she was saying that they're back actually this Thursday to inspect the school. And I, I guess, like you know, it's going to be different. You won't be able to go up to your friends and say, "Oh well, how's how is the summer?" You know, you're going to be totally uh, up here now, uh, here now, uh, mask, mask, mask. Like you know, I. Mm. I, I see myself being kind of anxious about it. To Are you willing to wear a mask all day? If it, well, if it protects me, yes. But look, it won't be ideal. Like I, I was saying that I probably wear a face shield, but then I heard as well that they don't protect you as much. So I said, look, just just for the sake of myself, I'm just going to put on the mask, wear it, and that's it, you know, and stop the complaining because I have seen what happens to people. Like even my age, or even just a bit older, and they've ended up in ICU and hospital and be perfectly honest I don't want that so I'd rather just stick it out for the day rather than you know risk and risk myself and risk my own family you know well, well you're a good level-headed lad and and I wish you luck uh, when, you when you go PJ. back next week and maybe maybe we'll talk again at some stage Absolutely. Thanks good good luck that. with it, Dylan. There you go. 1850 I forgot he was a youngster. He actually do you know what it is? He just he has the 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 the, the togetherness in his head of a much older person. Do you get that about him? 1850-715-996. Kevin says, in fairness, it's laughable to say kids won't get COVID in school. They're only just going back, so we're starting to see the cases rise, especially in America. The figures there are frightening. And as the professor brought up that case in Dundee, which a friend of mine actually texted me last night to say, had I heard about it, that's they just they had just had to shut the, the school down. I think the businesses as Kate have done an exceptional job at following the restrictions. I don't think the professor understands how rare the rule breakers feature in debates online. How rare, oh sorry, how rare the rule breaking is, says Kate. Someone else then says, well I wonder where is the thousand positive cases coming from? For a population of five million, how many tests are carried out a day? Please professor, stop creating more problems on top of what we already have. He's not He's not. Remember, the likes of Jerry Killeen, and in particular, Jerry Killeen, we've spoken to many of them. We've spoken to them all, in fact. Uh, the only one we haven't spoken to, I think, is Tony Holohan since the start. We've spoken to Sam McConkey. We've spoken to Jack Lambert, Anthony Staines, Kingston Mills. You name it, we've spoken to them. But Jerry Killeen has come back here from Africa, where he was involved in the real front end of keeping these epidemics down, now mostly to do malaria is his particular area of expertise. The man knows his stuff backwards and sideways. So we should listen to him. That's the point. It frightens the life out of us, but this is the kind of expertise that we, we, we should accept. Speaking of students and people going back, I'll just do this one briefly before the, before the break there, Dee. Um, our Katie from the newsroom, uh, went up yesterday to one of our favourite places, um, the Life Centre, up in Sunday as well. Now, this is only a short little piece. Uh, some of the people in the Life Centre were there yesterday just preparing to go back 
and she's and, and we talked to Don over the summer about the way they kept in contact with the pupils and got them through the, the exam stress and all that kind of carry on with the exams that didn't happen. But now they're back, and uh, Katie went up yesterday just to see what how they were settling in or preparing to settle back in. Well, I was a bit nervous coming in at the start, but now that I've been in here for this is my second day being in here now, so I'm a bit more used to it, and so it's kind of. It's normal to me now as such, you know. I've been out of, you know, obviously school for a long time now, so it was a bit weird coming back in and doing all, like, you know, subjects and all that and all work, but I'm getting more used to it again. In my head, it feels like such a small thing, even though I know it's a really big thing. So it's all right to concentrate. The masks are just weird. There's all these precautions and safety measures, but they're new. They're doing the best they can to make it normal for us, so I'm grateful for that. I suppose it was a culture shock, really. Everything was always so lax and normal. Once you have all these restrictions and, you know, you got to be this far away from each other, you have to wear masks, sanitise your hands every time you walk out of a room. It gets really weird. I was kind of worried about coming in. I mean, I guess the general climate. Yeah, so far it's been okay. So far, so good. That's some students in the Life Centre. And we look forward to talking to students, teachers and parents as the schools return over the coming days and weeks. And hopefully, hopefully stay back. Neil on Twitter says the blame game has to stop. We need a reality check here. Over a million people are being put back into daily circulation at a time when the cases of COVID-19 is higher than it was at the time we locked down. Am I missing something here? We're walking into a disaster with our eyes wide open. That's referring, I think, to uh, Professor Killeen. Kildare, says another message. Kildare's a lovely term for Dublin. Well, no, it's a different county. Okay, it borders Dublin, but yeah, it's kind of a suburb of Dublin, I suppose. Let's call a spade a spade. Dublin and the greater Dublin area needs to shut down. The virus doesn't see county bounds. The government just won't shut down the capital for economic reasons. Well, we said that earlier in the summer. We said, for God's sake, when you're opening up the rest of us, keep Dublin closed. Dublin has had the highest rate of COVID-19 by a haymaker's mile since forever. Like we've had, we're the second or third in the country. We've got cumulative in Cork since the start of about 1,800 cases, maybe a bit more. Right? Dublin's bit 13, 14,000. That's the gap between first and second. And Kildare is up there now as well. 1850 715 And the boys and girls of Knockapage, they were having a good discussion about going back to school. And a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. James, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. You just threw it up there. What ideas would people have? Yeah, I was like, I, I, I do a lot of driving during my, for my work, you know, and I just got to think, I was just thinking about my own daughter, Katie, as you know, she's on the spectrum, yeah. about her going back, you know. Now, she's in a small country school in um, Kilbanan, out near Aherla, and they're share, it's like she's going into third class, so she's going to be sharing with fourth class. It's the thing that the country schools do, you know. Yeah. So I just got to think, like, oh, geez, what, what, could, what could be done, like? So now I just thought about shift work, that just came into my head. You know, like we say, like if the juniors to maybe second class came in at half nine to maybe half one, and then from two o'clock to maybe five, the third class to sixth class came in, you know, and that way they'd split up the classrooms. They'd have they'd have more classrooms and for half the students, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, it has so numbers. I, I, 
Yeah. I just yeah, I just put her out there, you know, and uh, a lot of people came back and I know it's it, it's it's only some school, but some schools better than no school, you know. Uh-huh. They're not getting the followers, you know that kind of thing. So you're but suggesting then, that in a, particularly in a small school with only yeah. a couple of classrooms that you might have from from juniors to say second or third class would do the mornings. Mm-hmm. And then the higher level classes, fourth, fifth, and sixth, would do the afternoons. Coming in the afternoons, like from maybe two to five. Just a suggestion, just to out there. A lot of people went, yeah, brilliant. But then other people were coming on. I'd say, oh, the teachers wouldn't go for it. But like I said, the teachers would actually be doing less hours anyway. You know, but along those lines. But then the lady came in there. I can't think of the lady offhand, which made a great point about why don't you just do it every three days? You know, split it up like, you know, Mondays, when, Mondays off Tuesday, Thursday, that kind of thing. Oh, I've got so, you. So that you'd go in, sort the juniors would go in Monday, the seniors Wednesday, and, shoot, and yeah, just and so every on. every second day. So you have three days, yeah. one week, two days the next week. That kind of thing, and the classrooms would be split. So you'd have you'd have well, what I'm trying to say. You'd, for one class, you'd have two classes. A class would be freed up, you know. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing you have, away, James, you know? is it's it's not the most practical thing in the world from a childcare point of view. No, absolutely no. Yeah. Well, I, look, I'm in that position myself. My own daughter, you know. Yeah. You know, myself, my wife, all of us work, and it's just been it's been mental for us trying to find babies. You no, know, we're, we're lucky that yeah. we're, we're getting there, but some some days we don't, you know. And Orla yeah. might have to take a day off work and vice versa, you know. Yeah, it, and that's that, and that's a nightmare that a lot of it parents is a have Absolutely. as well, you know. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Because and, uh, you know, it's it's not that we treat or anyone treats school as a babysitting service, but everyone's trying to get their lives back in order here. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's, it's crazy times. Like I mean, we're just like we're just not used to it, you know. Yeah. It's um. I don't know. I can't. I just can't see. Um, I, I don't know, PJ. I just it's it, it, it's taking it take, it's taking it out of me. I just can't see any into it. To be honest with you, you know, I hate I hate being negative about it. No, I, actually, it's, it's a very good point that you, know? James. It's a very solid point that you've hit upon. You say it's it's taking it out of me. Like, Absolutely. I think a lot. Of, what age are you, James? Forty-six. You're Forty-six. I think a lot of people. You've just spoken words that a lot of people are keeping in their throat. Yeah. This is starting to take it out of you. Yeah, absolutely. James, can I add my voice to that? This is starting to take it out of me, too. It's taking it out of a lot of people. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah, yeah. It's tough times for everybody, you know. Like, you're like... Like, I know I hear people say, oh, look, we're all in it together, but, you know, are we? Well, have a look up <laughs> to know? Clifton. There's some of it less in it well, than others. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> well, no, but I, I did. I couldn't miss the opportunity. James, mind, <laughs> mind yourself, and I hope it works out. And, and the ideas on that page are very good. They're worth a read. One of my favourite Facebook, pa- Facebook pages, the boys and girls of Knocka. That's, that's James Toomey. And I think, just as a by-the-by, he has spoken words that a lot of people would want and like to speak, but won't. This is starting to take it out of us. Ashling, Ashling's gone. So she was on line two, guys. Uh, Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. That's a powerful sentence that he's just offer, uttered. This is starting to take it out of people. Uh, hi, PJ. I always believed that the bugs and the viruses needed to burn out with all the restrictions around the world. How can this virus go? It needs people to slow it. <laughs> That's risky, Eleanor. That is massively risky. What I worry about, says Tom, is the next rate of schoolgoers, the next wave of schoolgoers who are only just starting school. They traditionally don't have big classrooms, just all sitting around the table. I see risk there and I see a worry about what they think school will be. She's back, thanks. Ashling. 
Hello. Hiya. Hi. You're worried. I am worried. I am. I am. But, tell, tell me about your daughter. Um, no, she's five. She's starting school tomorrow. Her starting juniors, but I have a little boy with severe needs. He's an undiagnosed life-limiting illness, so okay. we don't know what's wrong with him, but he he is... Desperately he, vulnerable. He would be, I suppose, yeah, he would. So you've so, been cocooning him since day one, yeah, really? Yeah, so like lockdown and all that, we've been using sanitizers and we're used to day one, really, we've been that's in our life, you know, but... And, and are you in a position, Ashling, as a mommy now, looking at one of your children who really needs to go back for many other, many reasons, just to be a normal little kid, she wants to go back. Your fear, I think, is she'll bring it home to her brother. Yeah. No, they say child to child isn't as common as adult to child for transmitting it, but... Yeah, I am worried, but she needs to go to school. I can't, I can't put her life on hold. You know, she's been true enough. You know, like it's all about Donica. She's been true enough. I need to let her live, have a proper, normal childhood. Yeah. How, know, old is, how old is she again? She's five. She's five. Yeah, she's at yeah. a very, very crucial stage. Yeah, so she needs to go back mentally. She needs to, and like she has no other siblings, so she's all on her own at home. How you old know, is Donica? Like, He's two, but, like, he'll always be a baby, you know, yeah, like, he's, he doesn't walk, talk, he's, you know, yeah. he won't, she That's has weird. no one to interact with, and she craves interaction with yeah. with kids. Like she and that has an effect on a sibling, she yeah. want, and she yeah. wants to go back and see her friends. And of course, yeah, she's, she can't wait to go back, and I am worried, I think every parent across the you know, I think everyone is right, but I think we have to. Like, when is the right time to send him back? This is going to be with us for we don't know how long. We have to live with it. We have to live with this COVID, and we just have to take the precautions and be extra careful. And you know, yeah, I think I sense fear, Ashley. Yeah, yeah, but as I said, I can't put her life on hold. We have to live our life. I could bring it back from the shopping. My husband could bring it back from work. It's everywhere, so we can't, we can't escape it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. You have to let her live her little life yeah. as best she can. Yeah, you know, and she, right. as I said, she's been true enough, so, you know, I have to think of her as well as Dunica. I have to think about him, but I, I like, life at the moment with us isn't what a normal five-year-old, like our house is like a hospital. You know, I have to, give her some bit of normality and let her get out and, you know, she needs a break from the whole environment at home as well, so. All right. Ashley, know. I hope it works out and I hope I hope that she will be fine and I hope that Donna will be fine and, and that nothing sinister will come into your house. Thank you so much. That's Ashley O'Byrne. Imagine her situation. She's got poor little Donica who's very sick at home and she's got her little daughter who really, really wants to go back to school and she really, really wants to let her... PJ, I know COVID is an important issue, but can we please get back to local issues? Hey, how more local can you get? I'm losing the will to live. It's non-stop COVID all over the radio. Please, even an hour of something else. Well, you know, you're not wrong. We've been doing this since the end of January, and it began to just ramp up and ramp up and ramp up until it practically took over the programme. We've done way more than just COVID. 
way more than an hour of other stuff when we had an opportunity. But this is the biggest story we have ever covered. I think this is the biggest story anyone's ever covered. And we're just doing our best along the way. So we hope we're not boring you. We're just trying to keep you informed. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up in just a sec, the latest on one of the major casualties of Storm Ellen. And I mean one of the major casualties. A much-loved Cork landmark that was destroyed by Storm Ellen. I get the latest on the monkey puzzle in Mahan in just a sec. PJ, I know COVID's important. Can we please get back to local issues? A few people identifying with that. Um, we are about to get back to other things. Trust me. Colin says, let's keep radio positive and not jump straight to the negative or the bombastic. Let's always look for the positive. Well, Colin, that is wonderful. We love to look for the positive. But this is not the Lego movie. Everything is not awesome all the time. We've got a lot of problems in our country and it's our job. And in our city and it's our job to cover them and try to cover them as well as we can. But we will always have a bit of fun too. Trust me. David agrees with James. James Toomey said in the middle of a conversation with me there before 10 that this is starting to get to him now. And I said, yeah, it's starting to get to me too. It's starting to get to a lot of people. And we were allowed to have the honesty to say that. We absolutely are. Monica feels the same as James does. David, it's taken a lot out of me too. She says, I'm totally drained from it. You know, and unfortunately we're... It's not going away anytime soon. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at opinionline96 with your hashtag OL96. And, of course, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page open for your use 24-7. Send us a message. And mark that message, please, if you could, for the attention of the opinion line. That way it gets to us. We sift it out from the hundreds and hundreds of other messages that we get here every day of the week. Now, the monkey puzzle was one of the big stories last week. Uh, beloved monkey puzzle tree. Been there since 1845, planted by William Crawford back in the day. He of the Crawford, Beamish and Crawford brewery families. And it used to be part of the skyline on the south side of the city. So magnificent was it. Well, Storm Ellen took down that beautiful monkey puzzle tree, uh, damaged it almost beyond redemption. It was due to be felled uh, last evening. We're not too sure if it was fully felled. I know that St. Michael's Credit Union, I was talking to them the other day, they're going to work with the landowner to see if they can get another monkey puzzle tree to plant in its place. Everyone who had any interest at all in trees and the preservation of trees and the keeping of trees was fascinated by this story last week. Gerard Dubois is a man who contacted us on the day looking for a little piece of that tree uh, to work with as as his hobby. Uh, Gerard, bonjour again. Good morning to you. Good to have you back on the show. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You were down there last evening. Did, did they cut it down? Yes, they did. They did. They, when we came, uh, we, they gave us what we needed, and then all the big pieces, they were rotten and all that. They took them away. You got a little piece, did you? I got uh, five pieces plus uh, two branches. 
Very good. Very good. And and you emailed us after we talked last week. This is a new hobby for you that you picked up during during COVID, is that it? Yes, it is. Yeah. That's all my job. Yeah. So, so you want you, what you're going to do now with these five? How big are they? Are they the size of a football? Uh, the, size of? The, the, the the pieces I got they go from about uh, eight inches to about uh, fifteen to sixteen inches wide. Okay, okay. And what do you do with them now, Gerard? Then, uh, I'm going to take them out from the van because they're still in the van. Uh, I'm going to take out the bark because the bark is where you have uh, all the sap and all that, and it's very uh, wet and uh, it goes all over the place. So I'm going to take out the bark and leave it for a while. And the smallest piece, I'm going to try to turn it green because I was in touch with uh, Pat Carroll, the, um, the artist who turned up from Wexford. Yeah. And he said that you can turn them green once the wall of the, of the vessel is thin. It won't warp, it won't crack, nothing, but it has to be very, very thin. So I'll try it. If that works, I'll go on other pieces. And as I said to the email, one piece is for you for your um, when you do the put to auction when you do your uh, the the uh, what you call it uh, the the teleton okay. for the CUH. Oh, you're an absolute gentleman. No, you're no problem. Uh, that, was, uh, that wasn't for me. And also, what is name? Peter uh, Peter Organ asked me to do a small piece for Saint Luke's home for the the resident to remind to remind them of the the tree because they could see from there. Yes, they could. Yes, they yeah. could. Yes, so, so that's the plan. You're you're excited, I think. I am, yes, yes. yeah, yeah. Because if you if you look at pictures on Google about uh, people turning a monkey tree puzzle, it's amazing. Yeah. The, what the, is the wood it about by itself is not very good. It's just all the eyes that you have around who makes the the, the piece uh, uh, extraordinary. Yeah. It's it's a particular kind of wood, is it, Gerard? That makes it fun to work with. Is that it? It's very soft, but then you come to the art part where you have the eyes. I see. I so see. Uh, it's a trial and error. So I'm going to try on a small piece and see how it goes. All right. All right. Well, the very best of luck, or as they say in your native, bon chance to you, sir. Yeah. Thanks very much, PJ. Uh, and, and, and good luck, good luck with it. And that's a very kind gesture of Gerard. Uh, he has gotten five pieces from the Mahan Monkey puzzle. Um, thanks, Gerard. And what he's going to do is he's going to be asked by Peter Horgan, who's the local... Uh, labour activist down there who had a huge interest in the tree as well. He's been asked to produce a little piece for St Luke's home, which will be lovely. And he's going to, in the fullness of time, when we bring back, and hopefully we will, and we're determined to, when Radiothon comes back in 2021, he's hoping to have a piece for us for Radiothon, which is so, so, so kind. Thanks, Gerard. 1850-715-996. Now, there you are, Colin. There's your bit of positivity. There's your bit of positivity, but... Now, Martina. Martina, good morning. Will you wait for me for a a quick commercial break and we'll talk then? No problem. All right, we'll talk to you in about two and a half minutes. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts... 
are all off, but the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Backgarden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Backgarden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Cork's 96 FM. We've got some reports of a nasty accident up near the Credit Union in Farrenree. No more details. Thank you, Frank. Just take care up around there. If we have any more, we'll certainly bring it to you. Back to you, Martina. Uh, you're saying that the people complaining about COVID, that they're getting bored with it and they want to move on to something else. They're missing the point. Good morning to you. Yes, they're missing the point. Okay. There is a deadly virus out there in the whole world Yeah. that nobody knows anything about it. Yeah. And thousands of people our own Irish people have died from this disease. Yeah. With no goodbye from loved ones, a simple farewell in the church, yeah. buried in the graveyard with only a few of, the, of their own family friends. Yeah. And who who is fed up with listening to to this kind of thing? I think some people would like to pretend that we could get on with our lives as normal. Would they like to go to the pub and end up going out to the CUH, then drunk, uh, which I was in. I had an operation on the 12th of August. I got my womb, I got my two ovaries, and I got two glands removed from me. Major surgery. I hope you're okay. I'm doing okay. Good, good. And after that, after that, when they were finished with me, they put me into uh, the main hospital. Right. And I ended up in 5B ward. Right. Because my breathing wasn't good. Okay. And that was okay. Okay. We won't go into up. too many specifics, um, but you, no, you, did, you, you wanted no. to mention visiting. DJ, you listen to me now. I'm on the radio and I want to talk. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. There was two men in the ward with me. And I'm a woman. Yeah. One man had dementia and my dad only died of dementia three years ago. Yeah. Which you knew my dad very, very well. Okay. My dad was Joe Healy. Okay. My brother died of AIDS. Oh, I know. I, I, Jer, wasn't it? Jer, it was my brother. Okay. I knew Jer, and I didn't know Jer very well, but I knew, I knew Joe because I got to know Joe, and I'm sorry to hear that. I really am, Martina. And then this poor man was looking at me, and he was following me, his daughter... 
That must be very upsetting. There was you? no staff. Yeah. Two staff for four patients. Yeah. I tried to stop smoking. I went five days without smoking, PJ. Yeah. And that night I needed a fad. And I begged him, and I begged him for a fag. And they gave me a patch, and I told them where to put it. Yeah, they will never give you a cigarette, Martina. I got it, PJ. Oh, did you? Did you? Where did you get it from? I had them in my bag. <laughs> oh, right, so you, you got your own one out, did you? I went down anyway outside. They took me out, and I had my fag, and I came back in, right? Yeah. And the next day, anyway, um, my partner came up to see me. And yeah. I said, what are you doing here? Yeah. He said, well, you queue, you start to queue at six o'clock. Okay. I said, what queue? Outside the main hospital. He was down as far as the dentist. Oh, I see. There's a queue to get in to visit people. There's a thousand people left in to see a thousand visitors. Right. right. You had kind of resigned yourself to not seeing him, is that it? I didn't want to see anyone. Yeah. You were surprised to see him, so... I was shocked because of the, the COVID disease. Yeah, because in fairness, there's no visitors allowed and the bonds are the matter private and you're just wondering why is it that they're letting people in to see you, H? And, and, and he was in the mercy three weeks before that himself and I couldn't go to see him in the mercy. I have you now. Yeah, now we, we've, we've sent in a query uh, to the HSC about that policy, but you're, you're, you're not the first, actually, to mention it to me that they were and letting... And the next day, PJ... I signed myself out and I came home. Oh, really? Yes. Are you sure that was wise, given the major operation you've had? It was wise because of the diarrhoea. The two men had diarrhoea. Okay, okay, right, okay, okay. You were very and, worried about that, obviously. And what if I picked up diarrhoea in there? Yeah, yeah, I know. So I came home, I phoned my GP... He phoned the public health nurse to take take look after my dressing. I went back to see my GP on Monday and I got the all clear. Good, good. I finished off my antibiotic at home. Tell me quickly, were you were you were you tested at any point for COVID when you were in hospital? I'm after being tested four times for COVID. They should give me a thousand pounds for each test. Not a very nice test, I believe. It's okay. Right. Thankfully, I've never had to. Uh, I've never had to had one so far. Anyway, yeah. Going I had back... to get a test after the operation. Yeah. Because you know what happened to me, PJ. What? I choked on a small bit of toast. Okay. And I started coughing. Okay, and of course they were in with a test faster than lightly. No, we are. They, yeah. they shifted me. Do you know where they shifted me? Yeah, Down to the basement of the maternity hospital. Martina, I'm going to, I, what we've done is, what we've done is, and I hope you make a, a good uh, recovery and, and that, that certainly 
you know, you, you you don't get infections or anything like that. We have a query in with the HSE on two counts to do with your, your, your call, Martina. That is the visiting policy. What is the visiting policy? But also, uh, go back the year. I leave it there with you, Martina, and I do, I, I do wish you well, all right? And thanks ever so much. And uh, my thoughts with you, particularly with the loss of, of your dad and, and Jer, who I did know. Uh, from from years ago. Thanks ever so much, Martina. What we're going to try and do is to have you back at some stage soon because there are two comments come up in Martina's query to the opinion line. One is, what is the story with visitors at CUH? Have you been able to visit someone in CUH? Are they actually, because we hear they are, are they actually uh, letting a queue form outside of an evening to let people in? Okay, that's that's the first thing. And if they are, what's the policy with regards to it? The other one is I cast our minds back to the middle of February um, where the hospital announced that they had reviewed their admission protocol after a case where a 17-year-old girl was sexually assaulted by a 62-year-old man in a ward. Now, remember that story. We covered it. We spoke to uh, our buddy uh, at the examiner, Neil Michael, and we had intensive toing and froing with the HSE to do with it ourselves. That was a very distressing case. Martina's claim here is that she, after her surgery, was moved into a ward for her recovery and there were two men in there. Now, that's not supposed to be happening, or so we thought. So we have asked the HSE on to answer two queries for us and we will see where that leads. 1850 715996. The opinion line on Courts 96 FM. With the Junction Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot, and a self service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. You can check out Frank Brass as he takes you on a journey on the magical ebony and ivory keys through the streets of New York City. An intimate show at the Kino on Washington Street this Friday night. Tickets are on sale now from the venue's website at kinocork.com. Access all areas. Cork born and bred, sixth generation fiddler, multi-instrumentalist and singer-songwriter Claire Sands has announced a fun campaign for her debut self-titled album. The rewards on offer include CDs, vinyl, lino cut prints and textile art. Check out Claire's social media pages for more. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> yeah, PJ met his match, says this message to, <laughs> with that lady. Couldn't get a word in. Asher looked, you know yourself, she wanted to talk and she'd been through a lot. So best just give her, her her opportunity. And we will ask those questions on her behalf because there was a very definite commitment given in February following that case involving the, the young girl. We covered it extensively on the opinion line. Uh, and the CUH and the HSE 
were to implement a very specific policy change. It obviously hasn't happened if Martina was put into a ward with two men, one of whom had dementia. So we will wait and see. And we also want to know what the visiting situation is. In fact, maybe you can help us with that. Like, Have you been able to visit someone in CUH? Have you been pleasantly surprised to discover that you can when you can't visit anybody in the bonds? You can't visit anybody in the matter private and you can't visit anybody in the mercy. And I believe they had for a while a no visits policy in the Marymount, although I think that may have been lifted given the obvious uh, nature of Marymount. But like, is there a queue forms of an evening outside CUH to get in to visit people? Dan also wants to mentioned that there's a roundabout for set down there at CUH and it's choked up with taxis all the time and nothing flows through it properly. I don't know why the security allow it. 1850 715 Come back to all that in the fullness of time but let's go back to West Cork which has been pummeled by the weather in the past week. First of all, last week it was Storm Ellen even before Ellen arrived, there had been two nights of very heavy rain down there and, uh, beg your pardon, in Roscarbury and in uh, Conina and in Glandore. The roads were so badly damaged. Then Storm Ellen came and that didn't help. And then Storm Francis came the other night and it caused grief, major grief, for the people of Bandon who thought they were out the gap with that stuff and of Bantry. Uh, with unprecedented floods in in Bantry. We should remember as well that last week in the course of Storm Ellen down in Skibbereen, uh, they also had a major OPW project that was supposed to have sorted it all out. Uh, They discovered an additional problem that now has to be sorted. So that's all been going on in West Cork for the past week. Now that's taken people's minds off COVID-19, if anything ever did. But uh, Fiona Corkin was in Bandon yesterday and we... uh, played her package from Bandon. She also drove on from Bandon to Bantry uh, where they were mopping out and scrubbing out and trying to get the stink and the stench and the wet and the damp and the cold and the dirt and the look that it brings out of their shops and out of their premises. She spoke first to Amanda Kelly from O'Connor's Seafood Restaurant. We've been gathered here since 8 o'clock this morning and we've actually been um, trying to work. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Go with the best situation moving forward to open the restaurant or not. We need to get professional drainers in to drain the actual pipes 
and that's going to be dropped for tomorrow so there's going to be a massive amount of loss of profit uh, especially for a new startup business um, unfortunately there is no other alternative help or supports uh, for local community um, the guides for inflation them are actually now going around and we're, we've been cooking inside in the kitchen beautiful Thai red curry from the menu um, lovely fish curry from the menu and some tomato soup from the menu as well and we're going feeding the whole abantry for business those are owners to try and perk up um, everybody on such a sad day our old Weisman Weisman's drapery footwear got a phone call at 10 past 12 was in 10 minutes later came in the door the hall door of the the house came up past the wellies there was two feet of water in the hallway there was 18 inches to 20 inches inside the shop everything was floating out towards us it just was awful we were just getting into some of the winter stock coming in because because of covid all along none of it was coming through and it was just coming through this week some of my back black school shoes destroyed can't can't put them out they're going into the bin um, I got four six cartons from another company in England I lost two cartons there um, there's toast just upset isn't the word for it now we did the shop up in 2007 we've been hit six or seven times by the time this dries out because this is an old building it'll take 12 months and it's constantly washing. You'd be washing and, and detailing and domestics just to kill the bugs that are on the ground. And our politicians having a nice time golfing. They're not interested. It's uh, Adrian Cronin and it's Cronin's battery photo. We were at home. We got a call at half 12 that um, the new street was flooded. Uh, normally it wouldn't come that high here on the street. Myself and Caroline came down, uh, opened the doors to find about five or six inches of water, uh, frames floating, uh, stuff that people have dropped off to be framed floating um, thankfully we were able to to brush out the shop with uh, squeegees and stuff the, the neighbours were fantastic the Hurleys and the Murphys next door and um, we got it cleaned out came in this morning vacked it um, thankfully it didn't affect the printers or the computers but um, we, we definitely lost two and a half three grand's worth of stock anyway uh, that, we, that we know of so far like you know, it's not something we'd been preparing for. You'd always be prepared for it when it's the tide is high and things like that. But the tide levels were dropped back a bit. Rainfall was going to be high, but normally you'd have a combination of that, the, the rainfall, the winds together before they flood up this far, and it's never really been an issue, you know. So, but anyway, I don't know what's going to happen. To it. And uh, you know yourself with tender processes and everything. How long is it going to take before engineers are ready to start work on the road? It's it's a disaster. Mary Kelleher, Sorry Hans Cafe. We just got a phone call last night. We came in. The whole place, the street was totally covered. The picnic tables outside, the seats were completely covered. Um, the water came in. It burst past the wall in the back of the building as well because we don't have a back door. So the water was... I think there's some sort of a drain or something between these two buildings or it's something to do with the, the river. Yeah. Um, and the, that burst. So it came in from every direction. It was up... Um, I'd say to about here, two and a half, three feet, and the hallway right to the back. Um, being a cafe, obviously there's a load of food, so I think we had about two trailer loads of stuff up here last night that couldn't be touched. You know, things like cans, and even though they weren't in the water, they were like could have got a splash of water, so they were just you just couldn't take a chance in serving them, so everything had to go. It's, it's awful. Fridges, mixers, toasters, blenders, you know. 
they were all stacked nicely on the shelf and it was like the water just went so high that um, nothing was, was saved really. It was because we were closed for so long and you know with COVID and everything you want to get back open as fast as you can again but like we just have to make sure everything is, is done properly. We literally don't have a, an ounce of flour or a, a chocolate button. Nothing, everything got thrown out because everything got destroyed. I don't think anybody on the street probably has flood insurance at this stage. Um, because this, I think it's in, I'm here about 24 years and I'd say this is probably our fifth time getting flooded. But last night was the worst. Normally it comes in and because it's the tide and it goes back out again quite quickly. But it was static last night. It came in, it stayed. It's dirty water, like it's, you know, it's, it's disgusting. This is a flood that shouldn't have happened because the problem has been there for years. And we've been hearing about it for years and years. Um, you know, that needs to get sorted. The culverts need to be done. This can't happen again. No business, no town can sustain this sort of thing happening on a regular basis. You know, so the government needs to come and sort out as soon as possible. That's uh, some traders there in Bantry, devastated by the floods caused by Storm Francis in a part of town that rarely gets flooded, uh, some of the businesses, but then other businesses obviously have been there five times in a few years, seven times in a few years. It's just not good enough. We heard of Skibbereen last week where the flood defences themselves, and the explanation from the council is the flood defences themselves worked but there was an additional thing called the cutting, which is like an old railway track. The water just comes down through that because there was a, bra- a drain blocked. And then Bandon, again, we heard from the council that the flood defences actually worked. But there was a problem with an Irish water project that caused a drain to block and the water come up. So it seems no matter how much money you pour into these things, you can't seem to stop it permanently. Green Party City Councillor Colette Finn Colette, good morning. Thank you, Jay. With a view to what's been happening in West Cork, uh, where things that were previously thought to have been sorted actually weren't, you think we should be looking again now at the Cork City defence plan? Yes. I mean, I think uh, your heart really would go out to people in business trying to make it and then having to to deal with with the flooding is terrible. I suppose what, what we would have been saying um, in relation to the city was, is that we need to have a whole system approach. And sort of previously, there was a hard engineering solution where, where basically we put all our eggs in one basket in relation to how we deal with flooding. What we would be saying is you meet, need much more of a systems approach. So part you don't be really looking at made upstream which flow, which is the rate of flow. Yeah, that, that's not um, the best phone line in the world, Colette. Can you stay as close to the phone as you can because it's dropping out a little bit on me. You're saying that sorry, we, l- l- the, don't just focus on the, the issue at hand like the, where the, the geographical centre. Look up, upstream. Correct. Um, so for instance, at the moment um, people uh, who have private and can take can basically take down trees, which basically slows the rate of flow in, in these types of situations. And that's really what you're trying to achieve. You're trying to tr- achieve that you don't channel the water into a drain, that you basically dissipate it. So you try to spread it out so you, you, you don't build on flood plains. You put in um, areas that maybe can hold water with particular types of... of um, 
of flora. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a range of of mechanisms in order to try and yeah. control that the water never rainfall. actually gets to the point of crisis. Yeah, correct. So, Which is so it what seems to be happening here, Colette, uh with specifically, I think, they discovered in Skibbereen that the cutting, which is a, a well-known place locally, has a drain system, but the drain was blocked. And, and, and go back to 2012 to the flooding in Douglas, which I remember myself, there's a massive containment tank under the road there to take an overflow from the river. But the drain was blocked. We seem to have more problem with not cleaning out drains than we do with not providing flood defences. Yeah, and you see, I mean, drains, like, that fails, then the whole thing is kaput. You, you need to have various protections all along. So you're not dependent on, you know, all of your focus isn't on one, one drain or one trash screen or, or whatever. I mean, it was the same in Blackpool where the culvert uh, blocked. Um, so if you're not dealing with the rate at which the water is, is going to be released, then you're running into a problem. Yeah, you're um, saying look, we should look ahead rather than at the at the point in question. We, yeah, I mean, basically, we should look at it as a system. And I suppose maybe there needs to be greater cooperation between Irish Water and the OKW and the City Council, where you're looking at various sections of that you can you can the yeah. rate of flow of the water. Uh, and it's one of the things that uh, the Lee Forum, which are two groups in... I, I think that, that, that line is, is not going to last on me. So I'm just going to direct you down one other question, if you wouldn't mind. And it's to do with the, the plan that we're presently working on in the city. It's controversial in itself, regardless of, of what they're doing with it. But like, what could we do or what should we do to avoid... What might be inevitable down the road? Well, there has a lot of passed in the council that we need an independent review because, like uh, Dr. Colleen was saying in relation to how we deal with coal, if there's two schools of thought, then we need to have a proper debate about. You know, obviously there's pros and cons on any, uh, and so we stand and we don't the arguments, no. and you know people are making credible arguments. Then I think we need to have that debate. Okay. I'm 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 really sorry about the line because it was a very interesting conversation, but I'm going to leave it there. Green Party City Councillor Colette Finn, who is effectively saying we need to learn from what is going on in Bantry and learn from Skibbereen that you can talk all you want about flood defence systems and you can put them in, but she's saying you've also got to look up up river. Where is the problem starting? Where is the problem coming from? And try to prevent the water from getting to where the problem occurs. Which, of course, is a great theory. It, it makes absolute sense. Uh, they do that in Holland all the time. I remember talking to a guy a couple of years ago when we had a serious flood problem in Cork. He spoke to me from Holland. And because they're such a low-lying country, he was saying there's a particular football pitch near where he is. Uh, he's only used as a football pitch for about four or five months of the year. But it's used as a, a runoff, a water runoff for the rest of it to keep the roads and stuff from flooding. It, you know, it's planning ahead.
1850-715-996 is something I've no doubt that we will come back to. Back to the hospitals and to Martina's call about visiting the hospitals and are you actually allowed to visit at CUH? And we've had quite a, a number of comments come in which I'll get to momentarily, but Luke... Hi. Hello. My condolences, first of all, on, on the loss of your granddad. Thanks very much. A couple of weeks ago. Tell me what happened. Um, I suppose on the Friday I got a call to say that my grandfather had uh, taken his turn for the worse. Um, he was, I suppose, the head was kind of going over time with dementia. Yeah. And it was kind of, <clears throat> he was kind of deteriorating. And I suppose we got a phone call in to say that. Um, he was gone in so then that night at 2 o'clock in the morning he passed away but thankfully I got to see him at uh, on Friday um, but when I did go in there was, I was greeted by uh, a big line big queue outside of CUH and it was going up as far as BHI Healthcare right wow um, I wasn't I didn't know at the time um, I I just joined the queue and I was just hoping that it would go, you know, that it would be going through fairly quickly. But unfortunately, by the time I'd gotten into COH and by the time I got to see him, I had only gotten 15 minutes with him. My other brother was there as well. And it took at least 25 minutes to get in there. Right. And uh, <clears throat> there was two people with clipboards outside in, in the queue. They were taking names and they were taking addresses of people that were going in and seeing their relatives. Um, <clears throat> when I went in, I was told that I wasn't actually allowed to be on the ward, that I was supposed to stay downstairs by the, when I had seen my grandfather and then go down and then the next person go up and see him. Right. One at a time, um, in other words. Yes, one at a time on the ward. Which, of course, when a person is, is nearing the end, you want... The family to be with him. That's the thing, you know. Um, and when before I had left down in the A and E, you were—I think you were allowed two people inside there. But then by the time we got up, when I got into the ward, there was only one person allowed inside in the room. With it, with with the whole COVID, it, it was just with everything. It, it's just more difficult. But with this, it was just. Yeah. It was just very frustrating. Um, I, I, I think it probably I added, did it add to, the, add to the grief of the moment, it did. Definitely. Um, it certainly didn't make it any easier. Um, it would have been nice to have us around him, you know. I don't, I don't know what it would take for us to be there, you know. We're, we're all, I suppose, just because you're healthy and that you don't show any signs, I suppose, unfortunately, yeah. it's just not good enough. Was he on um, his own in the ward, Luke? Yeah, that's the thing, you know. He was, he was by himself. And the only the only visiting hours there from, are between from half to six to half to seven. Right. Right. And yeah, I only got to see him for fifteen minutes, and my brother got to see him for fifteen. That was that was it, really. Yeah. Well, again, my my condolences on on your loss. What was his name? Uh, his name was Patrick O'Donovan. Uh, he lived a good age, though. He lived to ninety-four. So oh, that's a great old great old age. But you know what? It's it's never easy. No, it isn't. At the same time, it was difficult. But look, at least, at least there was that, you know. At least there was some good out of it that he did live to a good age. You yeah, know, a great, a fantastic age, and 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 that you at least got to see him. 
rather than be completely blocked, which which people were for a while. All right, listen, Luke, thank you very much. And again, my condolences on the loss of your granddad. 1850-715-996. My dad was in the CUH in June. The night my mum was buried, uh, he was there for four weeks. We weren't allowed into him. He was 90 years of age. He just got out of the bonds yesterday. We couldn't get in to see him there either. It is so sad. Caller says she was on to the mercy the other day. If the patient is critically ill, you will be left in. Tom Barry, our friend Tom, is out in CUH the past couple of weeks. Hope you're okay, Tom. Uh, That's true about the queues. Every night, one person is allowed per patient for an hour. On the other point Martina made, he says, whatever you are with, you're never in the right ward. You're always in a different ward because of the capacity issues. Michelle on WhatsApp confirms again, uh, visiting reopened in early July. One visitor allowed between half six and half seven. Supposed to be for 15 minutes, but you can stay longer. There's a huge queue uh, without fail every evening. Though the majority of people have masks on. And then, is it Audie uh, came on uh, about Martina who started this conversation and said, take that woman off the air for the love of God. She signed herself out. She's complaining about being in a ward with men. She was lucky to be getting minded at all. My daughter's father was in CUH in a coma for 13 weeks, not with COVID. With another problem, they're doing all they can. I understand being in a ward with two men is not ideal, but by God, if we line, if we could have lined up to get five minutes with our loved ones, we would have lined up. At some stage, any one of us could end up in hospital. Be grateful, you got tested, and you're home and you're safe. Others are not so lucky. Uh, come on, she wanted to speak and shut you down. Uh, no way. She was a handful. Nurses are crazy busy. Give them a break. I, I, I'm not so sure you're being too fair to her, Audi. I see your point, but I'm sorry. I, I don't. I, I take the point. A woman recovering from major surgery should not be placed in a, in a ward with men. And the reverse is also true. Of course it is, you. Um, people who are recovering from surgery or people who have demand, people should not be mixed wards in, in 2020. Go back to the older days of hospitals. There was a men's surgical and a men's medical and a women's surgical and a women's medical. Who, like, who came up with this idea of sharing wards? I don't like it. I don't think anybody else. I certainly wouldn't like it. They might be the nicest women in the world. But please, if I'm recovering from something in hospital, I don't want to be in a ward with women. For any number of reasons. It's not right. 1850-715-996. With regard to storms, the council spent the time before the bad weather clearing drains in the countryside. Now you never see drains cleared. If this was done, we'd have no floods, especially on the roads. Well, yes, there is this question. Do do the drains get cleared? Do they get drained often enough? Or more accurately, you know, more... You know yourself. Like, for example, I'm told that in Cormac, there's a place called Riversdale, and that hasn't had their stormwater gullies cleared in years because the estate hasn't been taken in charge. See? Martina actually called back to say that she signed herself out of the hospital because she didn't feel safe there. And people shouldn't comment unless they have walked in her shoes, which is fair. Caller says her mom was in COH two years ago on a mixed ward. The way it works in the 
part unit is they treat the symptoms and they treat the men and the women together. In all the time she was in there, they couldn't fault the staff. They got the best of care and there was never any hassle with the mixed wards. I think Alma, maybe that's true. And in fact, my dad at one point, Lord rest him, he had a, a heart operation. And yes, the, the ward itself was mixed because there were acute cardiac cases and then he was moved out to recover in in a more private area but yes obviously in acute places like the intensive care unit the actual heart unit that kind of thing or a stroke unit or A&E then people will be mixed but in things like medical wards or surgical wards where you go to recover then maybe they could focus on keeping all the men together and all the women together Martina had had major surgery. She'd had a hysterectomy. She had her ovaries removed. And, like, she'd had major, major surgery and probably couldn't walk more than a few steps after it. And one of the men on the ward with her had dementia. That's a distressing place to be. You can really, you can empathise with her. You, You surely do. 1850-715-996. We're looking back to that article from the examiner about the mixed wards back, uh, this is back from February. Uh, the assault of a 17-year-old girl on a ward by a 62-year-old man in 2018 has led Cork University Hospital to review its admission protocols. This story was from Neil Michael in the examiner, but it has refused to say when it conducted the review, who carried it out and what action has since been taken. The hospital's PR firm declined to say whether the age for admission to adult wards has also been raised to 18. It was after the conviction and the suspended jail term handed down to Andrew O'Donovan from Butler's Gift in League for sexually assaulting the young girl. Uh, She was placed in a room, younger, what was she, only a teenager, young girl placed in, in a room with men. And that's what happened and they were promising or told to or undertook to review their situ- their policy and we don't know who did it, we don't know when it was done it hasn't been published and we don't know whether it was implemented. That reminds us of a case we covered in some detail here back in February 1850-715-996 On a lighter note and to keep it bright and uplifting or some of the callers we've had earlier on, there's a new album out from the Coronas, yes I know Corona again but it's them them Coronas. True Love Waits, it's called. And on Friday on Cork's 96M, we've copies to give you all day long. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and right across the day for your chance to text or WhatsApp to win. True Love Waits from the Coronas. Get ready to grab it for free all day this Friday, only on Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Just looking at that uh, survey was very interesting during the news. Almost half of people they surveyed, a thousand adults, they surveyed them back in July, didn't know that the whole testing process, from the call to your doctor to the test itself, is free. Over half of people didn't know that. We've been telling them that since day one, but maybe not shouting it loud enough. So if you're not feeling well right now, and you think that you might have the sore throat, the cough, the temperature, etc., 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 and you're worried that you mightn't have the money to pay the doctor, 
you don't have to pay the doctor. It's free. And you might think you might be charged for a test. You won't. That's all free. But interesting to see the results of that particular survey. 1850 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 The email opinion at 96fm.ie. It's interesting survey, another kind of a survey being done around Ireland and on Instagram uh, by Michael and Leona. Now, Michael, uh, you're you're a wheelchair user, I think, Michael. Good morning. Uh, Hi, PJ. Uh, Good morning to you. Um, Yes, I'm a wheelchair user since 2005. I had a car accident in in 2005. Okay. Yeah, fractured my spine. And hi, Leona. Hi there, PJ. Thanks for having us on. Delighted. You're Michael's Girlfriend, and you decided to to you decided to travel around Ireland to look at just how accessible it is for a wheelchair user in in various parts of the country. What did you, what did you first of all? Where did the idea come from, Michael? Um, well, I suppose it came from we went on our honeymoon there in uh, 2019, um, the start of 2019 uh, to California, and we just uh, realised how accessible it was over there. You know, they really have everything down to a T between footpaths and uh, access to hotels, motels, the grey outdoors, you know, they had, I'll give you an example, there's a viewing bay uh, on one of the uh, seas out there and, and for whale viewing. So, you know, they had one that's normal height and then they had one that was down low for a wheelchair user. Just something simple like that makes a massive difference, you know. Like it's, it's done at the start. It's done when they're building the place. It's done when they're adapting the place. Exactly, yeah, it's done from the start. Um, like, Leona really um, you know, highlights all this stuff on the, the page, and I'm kind of, like, you know, out there showing what is possible in the chair, and she highlights it then down on the Instagram page. Yeah, yeah so, so yeah, if ahead. I can come in there. Thanks, PJ. Um, yeah, it's all about promoting inclusive tourism, um, and we were bowled over for what we saw in California. Um, and it doesn't always involve, you know, costing a lot of money, it could be just an extendable picnic bench, you know, to include wheelchair users to wheel under and join in at the table. Um, and we just decided, wouldn't it be great to show these images on Instagram and just educate people into kind of, you know, what we experience in Ireland. So and what that's kind of things of, have you found? Yeah. Yeah. So just within our own kind of uh, Irish tourism industry, we do feel like accessibility is improving. Um, but it is inconsistent. So uh, things like woodland trails and hikes um, and even the greenway, you know, people have to know that technology for wheelchairs are improving all the time. Um, Mike has a detached kind of motorised wheel that allows us to access a lot more these days. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. I've I've seen one or two of those wheelchairs around the place. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's it's a very handy facility. But then again, there's something in your Instagram. Um, You're in a kind of a grassy place. It's little or no use to you there. Oh yes, that that was on a farm. (laughs) It was it was heavy rain. So even if you spend thousands of euros on these machines, the odd time you know you can get stuck. (laughs) Yeah. So so compare compare Ireland and I suppose compare Cork. Uh, in terms of yeah. what, what, what you found in, in California? Yeah, well, uh, with Cork, um, in Cork City in particular, the infrastructure needs a lot of work done. Um, we haven't actually 
had a chance to explore Cork that well, you know, since the start of this year and COVID and all that. Um, but it is on our list. But at the moment, we we do try to keep our posts very positive on Instagram, you know. But uh, at the moment, we are looking into how uh, these COVID mobility trials have affected people with limited mobility in the form of the relocation of the stable base. Yeah. There's a, lot the of that ha- a lot of that has yeah. happened, yeah. Yeah. And um, basically what happened was we um, came across a tweet by a Cork native, Eddie Hennessy. Eddie. Uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, put out a simple tweet that basically just said, you know, are all the disabled spaces where business owners are putting tables and chairs, are they being relocated properly? Mm-hmm. And we just thought that was a fair question to ask, you know, um, given the state of our uh, on-street parking bays in general. This, you know, is where, this is where premises have put a table yeah. out into the street to allow for socially distanced dining or yeah. coffee and yeah. they put it on top of what was a, a, a disabled parking bay. And, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we completely, we're, we're not anti-El Fresco at all. Of course not. You know, we, we completely understand this need. Um, and ironically, El Fresco dining suits a lot of wheelchair users as well. Um, but we just wanted to know about the quality of that relocation and how safe was it? You know, were we pushed aside and just forgotten about, you know, because we're seeing a lot of funding for bike stands and, you know, fancy flower pots and posters. But we wanted to know, were these bays any any better? Yeah. And they weren't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I you know, just to come in there, PJ, yes, on, on the bays itself, you know, I'd be a dry, a dry. I have a pretty much uh, full active life, like, and to, be, to have that, you need everything you needs to be kind of spot on regarding bays or just to go out there into the community. So a bay needs to know, you need the full width of your door when you open it, to get out your chair. Like when I'm on my own, I have my chair in my passenger seat and the wheels in the back so I can pull it together myself at the size of the car. So you, the bays are very important that way. You don't need a bay that's really narrow. When you open your door, you can only open it maybe a third of the way. Yes. You, can't, you can't get your chair out then. So it's totally, you know, you need access aisles for, for that. And yeah. you need access then at the, the rear of your boot as well. Sometimes people get out sometimes in a van, say, and they, they uh, exit the, the van from the rear. You know, so yeah. it's, it is, it's a tricky one to get right, but there, there, there is you know, certain guidelines on, on the way base should be done. Yeah. But there's, and, and the problem with Ireland is that there's no one set guideline for any county council. You know, they're all wishy-washy. Yeah. You know, there's no... There's no certain way of doing it. Yeah, I, I did some stuff pre the local elections uh, last year with with a disability group who had been around town looking looking at access. And the question they were asking was, when we're building, for argument's sake, a new premises, why do we not think of this until afterwards? Yeah. That's exactly what we're saying. You know, we're we're, we're not anti alfresco, but we're anti afterthought. It's so frustrating to see it being done and then to kind of have to make a big fuss for it to be fixed. Um, the Irish Wheelchair Association, they have a free PDF that you can download um, explaining the dimensions of these parking slots. Like anybody can download it. You don't have to be an engineer, a planner. And I think that's what makes the whole thing so draining. Um, you know, 
South Mall Road. So basically the five bays that were sectioned off in Pembroke Street. Mm. The wheelchair symbols were even covered with mats, so you wouldn't yeah. even know. It's on that picture. And yeah, and in fairness to Cork City Council, they did pick a distance as close as possible. Yes. You know, we are fair-minded like that. But you can't just look at distance. You have to look at the accessible infrastructure around these bays. And what we feel has happened is that they essentially painted on the classic wheelchair symbol into an ordinary car park slot. Mm. And you're forcing wheelchair users to actually have to go on the road in Salt Mall uh, up against bus air and coaches to try and find a dip in that path to get up on the pathway. Like, that is crazy. You know, we're risking our lives. Yeah. And all we need is a bit of space. I mean, the cyclists are, are well able to get the message out there that yeah. it's a little bit of space for a lot more safe. And why are we not being listened to? Yeah. You know? I spoke to a friend of mine uh, who's UK-based, guys, and and about an, a, a particular shop, which I won't mention the name of, just in case they've done something with it, because I don't yeah. know whether they did or not. But uh, a well-known chain opened a branch here in the city, and there was uproar, because you can't get a wheelchair in the door. And at the time, my friend was living in Southampton, and she said, do you know, in Southampton, you wouldn't be allowed to open it until yeah. it had been inspected properly for access yeah. by a wheelchair. We, we're not there yet. No, like, we are aware that there are access officers designated, as far as I know, with county councils. You see, America, the Disability Act came in the early 90s. Um, it's known as the ADA. So they had ADA officers inspecting sites. Um, in Ireland, we have our own Disability Act. But, I mean, I don't know what's going on. Two years ago, we signed the UN Treaty. We ratified it. Yeah. Um, you know, the UN Convention on the Rights of Pe- People with Disabilities. And, you know, state state bodies are legally obliged to create this accessible infrastructure for us yeah. Yeah. under Article 9. And I'm not getting too technical no, about it. Okay. Even, even if you're even in a building plan now, uh, architects yeah. have to have to allow for access to a wheelchair and stuff like that. Michael, you, you yeah. mentioned, you mentioned, Michael, that you you had the accident when? 2005? 2005. So, so, so 15, it's only gone 15 years. Actually, yeah. So fi- 15, 15 years. You're 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 learning to to live this new life. Yeah. Has there been an improvement in that 15 years? In terms, um, of- I will say now. I will have to say there has been a, a bit of an improvement in that 15 years. Even regards like technology that I can now, like Leona said, the um, the trike that I bought. It's an old race and street jet. It's called. And like a, it's basically like a battery uh, powered bike yeah. attached to the front of my wheelchair. So something like that, you know, that wasn't around when I first had the accident. But uh, the, the regards to the access, yeah, pubs and stuff and, and shops and all are getting better, but we still have a long way to go. You just, uh, just speaking of a premise, you, there's a premise we went to in Warford. I won't say it, uh, the name as well. It's a restaurant type of place, um, a chain as well. And you actually, the ordering area is up steps. So you go into the building and there's um, seats and tables for the right and then there's steps going up to the ordering area. And, you know, if I went in there my, myself, I wouldn't be able to order anything. And yeah. their answer to that was, 
well, you know, just sit down there and we'll take the order from you. But no one else has to do that, you know. Yeah. You just want to be treated like everyone it, else. It's, it's funny, I spoke to a guy on this programme, uh, it might be last year sometime, um, and like that in the story now, a premises that he went to, a relatively new place, fabulous access through the front door, lovely big wide front door, plenty of uh, seating that he could get in under. He was absolutely delighted. And then he wanted to use the toilet. It's up three steps. Oh, yeah. See, it's so infuriating because you want to live your life as best as you can. And these little, they're only little things, but they really can hinder a night out or, you know, a day out, whatever it be. Like. I just want to interject there, if I can. Drive on, Leonia. Yeah, sorry. It's just to say that this trend in relocating disabled bays is happening all over Ireland. Yeah. In our own local town, we went up to Dublin, we checked it out there. There was a bay completely tarmacked over. Uh, to make way for a new path. Um, And, you know, it's also in the UK. It's big news at the moment. Yeah, I was in Killarney the weekend. And I was just walking along the street with a cup of coffee in my hand. And my friend who was with me was showing me where they had covered up a load of parking spaces, including the disabled bays. And I said, well, what have they done with the disabled bays? Where have they put them? And he said, I've no idea. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you made, PJ. We're included in this car clutter narrative. Um, We know congestion is a major problem in Cork City and in most cities. We know this, but we don't feel our access needs should be included in this car clutter um, argument. Um, We're not denying that congestion is a major issue, but we need our cars. And I think environmentalists and planners and engineers, the sooner they accept that the better. Whether our cars are electric or not, you know, we're still waiting for a rollout of those electric car charging points that are accessible. Um, A lot of wheelchair users do use hand bikes, so we are cyclists, just in a different form. Um, So we do want to make a difference ourselves, but we need our cars. And what's very disturbing at the moment is that you have on Twitter you know, anti-car groups and county councils um, using wheelchair users in their imagery saying, you know, this is why we don't want cars because they park on the paths and they block wheelchair users. We agree with this. This is awful seeing cars parked on paths. Mm. But don't say that and say you want a car-free city because we are the ones that need the cars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's even, a complete if, even, contradiction. If, even if there's only half a dozen cars allowed through the city, priority yeah, has to be given to pay. your car. We'd rather pay for a parking slot if it meant we could actually get out of the car and safely get onto a path. That's how bad it is yeah. now. Yeah. But you just know? to come across there as well, PJ, there's a big problem even with the, the say the space of that war there, that they don't have dishy. You, know, you have a space and you're, you park up right beside it and there's big, when you, you open up your door, you have a big curb in your way. So something simple like a dishing on that curb makes a massive difference for car parking space Mid-tip, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just simple things, like I'm saying. I yeah, I mean, it doesn't cost a lot, I, as far as I know, not to uh, provide a bit of dishing or a dropped curb. You, you park up and then you look around Cork City and you see these posters saying, you know, welcome to a people-friendly street. Um, we share this city together. You know, okay, a wheelchair user maybe risk their life trying to cross the road there just to get on a path. You know, are you, are you designing a city for able-bodied people with, you know, two-wheel bicycles? Or, you know, you, we need to be more inclusive. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, to find a pedestrian and to find a cyclist. You know, a wheelchair user or cyclist as well. They just use hand bikes. Are we designing cycle lanes that we include them? We have an aging population. Many of them will want to cycle, maybe with tricycles. You know, there's an amazing charity in England called uh, Wheels for Wellbeing. Yes. And they promote inclusive cycling. Um, whether it's people with disabilities or just the elderly, you know, with rickshaws, trishaws, recumbent bikes, and um, tricycles for maybe people that have, you know, impaired balance. It's not just the bicycle. And you're going to see that now with people living in the city who have disabilities still want to use, you know, new technology. So we're just worried that, like you said, they'll design it and then it'll be like, oh, actually, can you tweak this, tweak that? And then we're told, oh, we're just giving out the whole time. We're not. It's the last thing we want to be talking about. Shouldn't have to ask. This is the point. Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't have to ask. that That case with the pub where everything was perfect. Yeah, and another thing, PJ, sorry, um, Cork City should be so proud of the fact that one of their gyms, uh, Elite Fitness in the Marina Commercial Park, is is one of the only um, non-medical centres in the world to have an exoskeleton. Um, I don't know if you covered that story. I'd say you did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this device allows paralysed people to experience walking again, and people as far as France have booked in for this. So you have this amazing piece of technology created in California, and yet you know you get outside a few a few kilometers, and you see these bays that are just an insult. Yeah, yeah. Your, you know? in, your Instagram is called "The Struggle Is Wheel," which I like. Yes. it's all one Thank word. You. The struggle is wheel, and yes. it's just photographs of dealing with dealing with with, with the things that you, Michael. Uh, deal with every day? Yeah, just, um, I suppose, it was mainly, we started out to, to about outdoor recreational stuff, you know, but with my new uh, wheel, I can get up most um, uh, trails and tracks, and, and, you know, so it was just a highlight for people that are in a similar position myself, what they might come across in certain areas in the country. So, yeah, it was mainly started out that, and then, obviously, we've seen this rollout of the new professionalisation, and it kind of went to there then. All right, listen, guys, uh, best of luck to you both, uh, Michael and Leona, and it's an interesting topic of conversation. Uh, thank you very much. The Struggle is Wheel is their Instagram. Uh, Deputy Thomas Gould was in touch to say that he acted on a representation from uh, Eddie Kennessy, uh, Eddie Hennessy, rather, to do with the council. Um, I'll get him on about that in a week. But I, mean, that's, I won't mention the premises in case they have adapted it now. But it's right in the city centre. It was a brand new place, an international chain, a well-known international chain. And my friend happened to be over and was dying to go to see this. And she rang me in a fit of fury. She was livid. She said, what clown allowed it to open without access? We'll go to Thomas Gould in just a second. We'll get him on the line. Thanks. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. 
Take the 10 minute survey and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, the, the wheelchair parking spaces um, that Michael and, and Leona raise is a very live issue because during the summer when we've been trying to get people to go back into town to eat and to socialise, etc., um, some of those parking spaces have been covered. And, and, and you'll remember I spoke earlier in the year with Carol Noel Rice, you know Carol, um, she was on with Tommy Tiernan and then she came on with me and we had a good chat about it. And she was talking about um, how, you know, her car are, is her legs sometimes. She can't go very far. So she was concerned about the moving of these spaces. You can't just lift it up and plunk it down somewhere else. You've got to think of the implications for the person involved. And Leona and Michael were making the point that you can't just paint a given any given space blue and paint a wheelchair on it. It's not the same. It's a different type of space. Um, Deputy Thomas Gould, you, you were looking across that and, and other matters too. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. The parking spaces, you can't just lift one up and plunk it down somewhere else. You've got to take more into consideration. 100% PJ. I was um, just listening to... Uh, to, to to the the couple there in relation to travelling around Ireland, um, I was contacted by Eddie Hennessy, who they they spotted Eddie's tweet, and Cork City Council relocated disabled parking spots in the South Mall to compensate for ones that they 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 covered up because of on street dining. And listen, I've been down in Princess Street and other areas of the city having something to eat, uh, trying to support local business, and it's been great. And it's great to support uh, our local restaurants and cafes and uh, gastro bars. But the problem then was they did exactly what they described. The Cox City Council painted car par- disabled parking spots onto the ground without ever changing the size of them. And it got so bad that Eddie Hennessy actually had to come into the city and do a video to show uh, how it's impossible that even though there's disabled parking spaces there, that it's it's not they're no good to people with disabilities. They're disabled parking wheelchair. spaces in name only. Yes, yes. No, to be fair, the Cox City Council, uh, I'd written to them and Eddie had contacted them, but when Eddie Hennessy done the video and sent it in, it was obvious to anyone who saw the video exactly what he was trying to explain that these parking spaces were no good for people with disabilities and the council actually apologised and they've given Eddie and myself a commitment that they're going to uh, realign them, increase the size, ensure that the same number of parking spaces are there. But like going on to what Leona said there, like when you get out of the car if you're disabled and you're trying to move your wheelchair, um, what happened? Yes, what happened on uh, the South Mall was that there's actually, as you know, the buses use it. 
So people were actually coming onto the road where buses are driving past you. And because of the height of the footpaths or the curbs, and in some cases you have these bollards, they have to actually they have to go down the road in their wheelchair to try to find the section so they can get onto the footpath. And the point I've made across City Council and Eddie Hennessy made was that when they're putting in parking, uh, disabled parking spaces, you have to ensure accessibility and safety. And like Leona made a point in relation to uh, cyclists, we, we're becoming more aware of that. Uh, you see ads on television and there's a lot of PR in relation to cyclists. But for people with disabilities, a lot of people still don't understand the, the, the how difficult it is for them to access and to be able to move around. Mm, mm. And actually, PJ, last week, last Friday, Cork City Council are doing a new city development plan. And the first submissions were in last week. Now, this will be going on over the next few months. So I would encourage anyone in the city who has ideas about how to improve the city to get involved. But part of my submission I put in about uh, having the disability department within Cork City Council and as Leona said, no building should be built now until it has been uh, certified that it's disabled-friendly. Mm. Well, it should be part of the... You know, you have a fire inspection to see is it safe to get in and out. You have... To, could you evacuate it quickly? But it should surely be a case that... And again, I mentioned this, and I won't mention the place because they may have addressed it. I don't know. But But when my friend rang me, the place was only open six months. This is only 20... 2018 and she was absolutely furious because you couldn't get in and she said to me she was living in Southampton at the time she says you could not possibly open it in Southampton you, they, they'd shut you down again and force you to put in a proper door and PJ the description you give is perfect because every business and every facility has to get uh, a fire sort every year you know like um if you, if you have a business and you want to operate, you have to get a fire cert. And it should be seen with a disability an cert. cert. Yeah. Yeah. An access cert. Now, Cox City Council do have an access officer, but to be fair, for have one person to do that job in a city or size. And PJ, if you walk around the city, and it's, it's I suppose since I got into politics and different groups have been contacting me, I'm no more aware of footpaths, of... Uh, accessibility, yeah. trying to get into buildings. And it's a huge thing now across the world. It's not rocket science either, Thomas, to do it, because I know you say you have an accessibility officer and that's all very fine. But, but it, you know, if you're building anything, engineers have to sign off on it. 100% PJ. And, nothing, and it should be nothing. part of the engineering snag list. Is it accessible? Cool course it should be it should be actually it should be part of the criteria that nothing can be built unless it's a disabled access like pj i have a, I have a chap there he lives in mayfield and he's blind and he's been on to me and i've been on to cox city council because you know the junction there by duns ballot lane and I the do. northern ring road and ballyhooley road i do yeah he can't cross that because he's blind and he's waiting for people to help him cross the road so it's not just for people with wheelchairs or people who are blind. Like you have disabled, disability is, is a much broader spectrum. Yes. And what I'm looking to make Cork a disabled friendly city so that everyone uh, is comfortable and feels safe 
when the, and PJ, more and more people know the population are getting older, right? There's a lot more mobility issues. We want people to be able to travel freely around the city and feel safe. And I think that's something we can do. I don't think it's a huge thing, but what it, what it requires is a change of attitude to every time we think of doing something, we think it's just disabled, accessible. Could I do this in a wheelchair? Could I do this if I was blind? Just now leave it there, Thomas. Thanks very much. That's Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. Thank you very much. And for all of us, we need to be aware of this. For example, I only learned it, I should have known. I should have known. I only learned it recently. Do you know when you come up to a pedestrian crossing on a standard footpath and just at the edge there's these, kind of, it's kind of a, a flagstone with bumps on it. It's different to the other flagstones. It's got little roundy bumps on it. Now I only learned very recently that's there for a reason. That's there so a blind person can realise, or a partially sighted individual, can realise they're now standing at the edge. It's it's specifically there for tactile interaction with the pavement. Like, But we should have them everywhere. They're not everywhere, but they should be. 1850-715-996. Thomas Gould is on there about the City Council and access. I'm living in a council property. I'm disabled. The property is accessible, but I'm living on top of a hill. It's crazy. He's talking about parking spaces in the city. Did he ever sit in a wheelchair and try to get around, says Mike. 1850 715 996. The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Junction Vickers Road, Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot, and a self service laundrette. Your one stop for everything. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Well, the power went out during the storms last week. Uh, there was a Facebook page went up from Salinas, which is uh, a new premises. Uh, it used to be the Bayleaf Bistro. Now it's known as Salinas. And they're changing it over. It's in Middleton. And, of course, there was loads of power out in Middleton and East Cork in general. And Abdullah, who's the owner of uh, Salinas, took to Facebook to offer very kindly to offer people to come in and, and you know, avail of the facilities. And and even though the power is back, Abdullah, I think they still can. Is that right? Good morning to uh, you. Good good morning, BJ. How are you? Absolutely, the offer is still standing for everyone in need. Uh, you know, for food or wash, drink, whatever it is, um, the restaurant is always open for anyone who needs help. You're very, very kind. Why did you think of doing that? To be honest, this is the way I grew up. My father is the same. My brothers are all the same. So uh, this is my culture. It's like it's mm-hmm. just trying to get people back. People where have did, the flood in the last year. Up, uh, I'm a Palestinian Jordanian. I grew, born in Jordan, grew up in Jordan. But my father originally from Palestine, born okay. in Palestine. But uh, we moved to Jordan. Uh, he was a policeman for 25 years in Jordan, actually. Okay. And uh, now they all live in the U.S. in California. Very good. And and how long are you in Ireland? Uh, First time I came in 2001, and I settled in the country in 2006. Uh, my wife is Irish, so gotcha. we came here, we settled in 2006. Excellent. And you've just taken over the old bay leaf, and you're changing it to uh, Salinas. Yeah, the, when I opened the doors, it was 2019, uh, 1st of May 2019, and I called it the bay leaf piece from Middleton. And uh, since then, I won't really want to call it Salinas. Yes. 
Uh, Where did that name, name come from? Uh, it's actually my three daughters' name in one. I took two letters from each one of them, uh, and I put it all together, which is uh, Sarah, Lily, and Lena. It's lovely. So, uh, Salinas. We'll try to keep it family, one business, as always. Excellent. And you, I hear you're doing Middle Eastern food. What kind of stuff are you doing? Uh, we actually a mix of uh, Palestinian, Jordanian, uh, Syrian, Lebanese, uh, all together. But we're focus, I'm focusing more now in, in uh, Middle Eastern. I have Irish as well food, yeah. which is, I have the steaks, I have the fish and chips. I have all of that. But uh, uh, the demand is more Middle Eastern, yeah. to be honest. That's great food. It is, it is, it is. I'm, I'm very passionate about it. It's true, you're nutritious and, and healthy and, and it's just lovely, great. It's great to see. It. So, so, and if, if anybody needs help, just the turn door, up. The, the door is always open. Just come in, ask about me, and I'll be more than happy to help with right. anything. All right. You're a very, very kind man. Thanks a million. Thank you. Appreciate it. Delighted. That's Abdullah from Salinas in Middleton, formerly the Bayleaf Bistro. What a decent skin. What a lovely guy. Just to remind you, because we're going to talk about Phil Hogan. <laughs> I know, sorry. But look, we've waited till now. Uh, it's International Dog Day. So treat your doggy today. All right? Do treat your doggy today. It's International Doggy Day. 1850-715-996. Now, Juliana wants to talk to us about Phil Hogan um, from a particular point of view. But that statement that the three leaders issued last night Michal and Leo and Eamon issued a statement last night about Phil Hogan and everyone said it was a groundbreaking statement it wasn't really has anybody missed or is it just me am I the only one missing this not one point in that statement did they say his position they considered to be untenable I mean, yeah, Ursula von der Leyen is the only person who can actually sack Phil Hogan. But if Eamon and Leo and Nihal said, we consider his position to be untenable, she kind of would have no option, would she? Because he might just slide out of it, you know. It's unlikely now, to be fair, but he might. You'd never know. Juliana, you wanted to talk about this too, didn't you? Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Um, what I wanted to talk about was not that he broke the regulations, but that how um, power is exercised and deals are done in informal settings and in Gulf societies. And I, um, that Phil Hogan was actually working by his standards. That is, doing deals, talking to people, business people, people who were frequenting golf clubs, very wealthy people. Well, we now, all know how much business is done on the average golf course, you know. Right, but um, Bill Hogan is the Trade Commissioner and we are, set, we are being told uh, that we need him in Europe at the moment. But I would like to remind people of the deal that he negotiated recently to import vast amounts of South American beef into the European community. Yeah. And this was to the detriment of Irish farmers and to the detriment of the South American rainforest. What, what's your is, own background, Juliana? Um, I'm originally from a farming background, but I've been living and working in Cork City for 30, more than 30 years, gotcha, 35 gotcha. years. And the, the no. South American beef, I remember reading about that coming into the EU, and I kind of thought, well, yeah, that's not good for us, because we export uh, a load of beef into the EU. But also, kind of, does the EU not have its own beef, beef, beef trade, you know? 
Yes, it's not traceable and it's not um, necessarily the safest form of beef to be eating. But the EU beef, um, the, what happens is that the, the beef industry is owned by a very small number of companies in Ireland and worldwide. It is owned by about six companies in Ireland. And um, uh, so part of the deal now is that the Irish beef gets sold. Part of it is sold to McDonald's and part of it is sold to China. It is sold to a restaurant chain in China. It is the wealthy who will be eating that in China. But the farmers are getting nothing for beef. And the workers are in really bad conditions. They are migrant workers. They have no rights there. A lot of them are employed by agencies. And this is the same worldwide. And this, this business... Now, there have been a number of scandals in relation to beef. There was beef sold to Iraq, which cost the government 40 million or something like that several years ago. You, You mentioned as well, though, that you believe anyway, yes, obviously, as Trade Commissioner... Phil Hogan would have been head, neck and tail in, in negotiating that South African beef deal. But also there was a quid pro quo with German cars. Yes, that's what I believe. Because because of electric um, uh, because of electric cars coming on stream now, there is a lot less manufacturing involved. And I would reckon that there is German engineered and manufactured goods probably being traded off that they are now o- o- allowed into the South American market. And that um, maybe Ursula van der Leyen, um, maybe she did a deal on the golf course too. Well, 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 we wouldn't be casting any person as persons on her, but I'm just saying, isn't that kind of how the world works though? You scratch my back and, and, and I'll scratch yours in terms of trade. Okay, so what are we doing appointing somebody who looks after the interests of business people? Now remember that the people who are in charge of the beef industry, there are six families or companies, they are among the wealthiest in the country. Mm. Um, If you look at the... the, Half half of the world's wealth is owned by 10 or 15 Ah, people. And what are we doing uh, getting worked up about appointing Phil Hogan or even worse, replacing him with uh, Leo Varadkar. Well, 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 hold on now. Let's look look at it from, from the practical point of view that if and... I hold no candle for Phil Hogan and I think anybody else would have been sacked if it was in the government's remit to sack him. I think they'd have sacked him. I, I don't know, but I think well, they would have. But but here's the thing. If you take Phil Hogan out of the trade gig, right, yes. you're not guaranteed that his replacement will get it. And given the implication... <laughs> but hold on. Given the implications of Brexit, we need someone dealing with trade. We need our interests protected. Has he protected our interest? He has protected the interests of a few business people. But why don't we replace him with Mick Wallace? Now, Mick Wallace, I think, is an honest man. He was also, by the way, uh, when he was stopped by the guards for using his mobile phone, he got points added to his um, yeah. uh, license. Yeah. Yeah. But Mick Wallace would be an honest man out there and he would look after... Well, Mick is an MEP, you see. Mick, Mick is yes. an MEP. Phil yes. Hogan isn't an MEP. I think he'd consider. I think he'd consider um, being upgraded, and he wouldn't do any harm. Yeah. And um, what what sort of a deal will will but you see, At the end of the day, then you see, like Phil Hogan or anybody, Bart Simpson, if if Barry was if he was, he's doing what he's being asked to do on behalf of the European Union. So so let's say Mick Wallace got that job. Let's say Mick Wallace was trade commissioner. 
Mick can have all the ideas he wants, but at the end of the day, he'll be given an agenda by Ursula von der Leyen and told, that's what we want. Sure, but let us acknowledge that the um, European agenda is hypocritical because they are beating us over the head about global warming and about the, re- the need we have to reduce our carbon footprint. And most Irish people live very modestly and they're not uh, um, abusing the environment in that way. Yeah. But, but what we have the leaders of the European Union doing is, who are above democracy, by the way, the commissioners are not accountable to the parliament. And no, they are doing deals, to, the doing deals yeah. to yeah. cut down the rainforest and to add to global warming in a shocking way. Yeah. They, are being, they are being stripped by American interests in South America to grow beef. That is a kind of, isn't it a broader issue, though, that the European Commission acts, like you say, virtually independently. You kind of wonder, well, we sent out these MEPs and, to do a job and we paid them very well to do it. But in actual fact, at the end of the day... All the decisions are made by Ursula and Phil and whoever else have to be sitting around that big table. And they're made on the golf course while the doll is on holidays. So why don't we just start somewhere, come on, get back to work, do deals, do, do deals above board at the proper places and cut out the golf course. Yeah. yeah. As long as business has been done, it's been done on a golf course. Yeah. Do you know? Which... So what do you think should happen with him? Do you think, do you think he'll keep his job? Um, I don't know because I hear people putting their head over the parapet making, um, making noises that they're seeking re-election. Um, one, one former TD above in Dublin who was responsible for um, say running bus Aaron, he squeaked up yesterday and I would think he sees an election opportunity. Now, Michal Martin would very much like to get rid of Leo Varadkar. It's very tempting to put him out to Europe and to get rid of that Simon, Simon Coveney might also be interested but in the European Simon, gig. Simon Coveney is not so popular with the Irish electorate and would not be the same threat to Michal Martin. So it is in Michal Martin's interest I to get rid of about that. I wonder about that, Julianne. Get rid of Leo Varadkar, put him out there. Uh, but uh, in uh. the long run, it is we who will suffer yeah. because Leo Varadkar has not looked after the Debenham workers when he had plenty of opportunities both as teacher and now point. as minister. At and the end of the day, though, last night I made my I made my point before I go briefly. I, I, the, the the statement that the three of them issued last night, yes, did not and contain any reference to we deem his position to be untenable. They're chucking it all over to Ursula and asking her to do what to do. And at the end of it, whatever she does, they'll accept pretty much. Well, they don't like the embarrassment because it is drawing attention to how things operate. And I would say I would also like to point the finger at the leader of the Green Party and ask him to come out and say what exactly he thinks of the beef deal that Phil Hogan uh, brought out. And how does that... How, how does that um, uh, uh, treat the environment fairly when they're trying to reduce the carbon footprint around the world? It's an interesting decision or d- discussion. Juliana, thank you very much. You might even give us a, an additional topic of conversation for future programmes. Thank you very much. We'll know, we will probably know by this evening what is happening with Phil Hogan. Uh, just discussing it last night with Fergal. Fergal thinks he will be gone. I, I, I think he'll slide out of it. I, I honestly think he'll slip through it. I, I don't know. 
Sweet Jesus, Hogan bats for the EU now, not us. And with Hogan's attitude and arrogance, who's to say he hasn't pissed off the Brits and that's where there's an emphasis on the talks. We need Hogan, we need an honest broker, not an arrogant man. Hi PJ, if Michal or Leo pull for Hogan's party membership here, it'll start a process of him having to resign as he will not have his party mandate. However, neither party leader will do it. It doesn't matter what party he's in, Jerry. When he goes to Europe, you drop all those allegiances. Or so you're supposed to. That's it. The programme edited by Deirdre Shotnessy, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Mind yourselves, stay safe, wash your hands, keep your distance, and put on that face mask. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.